0: Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets and plants that are important to you. It's November! I hope your first week of the new month went well. As I've done for the last nine Novembers, on the first of this month I started writing a new manuscript for what will hopefully be my 2023 novel. For those who may not know, November is National Novel Writing Month. It's a marathon of sorts in which people try to write 50,000 words of a story before the end of the month. National Novel Writing Month, uh, or NaNoWriMo as it's more commonly known, was first hipped to me by a coworker back in 2009 who knew I liked to write and suggested I try it. And I did try it, and I was successful, and that manuscript I wrote back in 2009 eventually became my first self-published work, Magnificent Lives. I took part in NanoRiMo again in 2013, and again I was successful, and that manuscript became my 2014 novel, Who's Afraid of the Virgin Wolves? After 2013, i participated in NanoRiMo every year. If you've ever wanted to write a novel, I recommend trying it. You can participate on your own, or you can... Set up profile up at nanorimo.org for free. That's how I do it. Uh, you can buddy up with other writers on their site. You can log your progress to monitor how many words you're averaging every day. It's it's a great website. So uh, so you uh, we can encourage each other if you decide to participate. You set up a profile over at nanorimo.org. Feel free to look me up. We can buddy up over there, we'll encourage each other, and we'll cross that 50,000-word finish line before December 1st. Folks, you're listening to the People Are the Enemy podcast. I'm the host of the show. My name is Andy Mascola. There are no ads on People Are the Enemy, and there is no Patreon set up for it. The only thing I've ever asked of listeners is if you love this show, and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily and get yourself or the reader in your life some quality literature, please consider purchasing any or all of my books I'm the author of 10 novels that are all currently available in both paperback and ebook formats worldwide via Amazon. And if you don't use Amazon, you can find all of my titles in ebook format at Google Play. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. People are the enemy listeners this is episode 253 of the people are the enemy podcast our guest is the writer humorist and self-described weirdness enthusiast james green jr james is the author of brave punk world the international rock underground from Alerta Roja to z off and this music leaves stains the complete story of the misfits james latest work is is a book documenting the Ghostbusters franchise titled A Convenient Parallel Dimension, How Ghostbusters Slimed Us Forever. I was graciously provided with an advanced copy of James' new book, and holy moly, the dirt I got on Ghostbusters while reading A Convenient Parallel Dimension was enough to fill a sandbox. Now, if you love Ghostbusters, if you love Saturday Night Live, if you love stories about Hollywood egos and movie casting choices that might have been... You are going to love a convenient parallel dimension, how Ghostbusters slammed us forever by our guest today, James Green Jr. And I'm going to attempt to to, to, to take this down with us here slowly. Well, there's so much for a fade out. That's gone. Anyways, look, folks, I have been so excited to speak with James uh, I after I finished reading this book, and I, I, I am over the moon that he would talk with us today about it. So... Without any further ado, let's speak now with Mr. James Green, Jr. Hello, James. Are you there, sir? Well, I'm
1: here, Andy. Thank you so much for uh, all your kind words about the book, and uh, I'm excited to talk
0: to you, too, man. Oh my, oh, my goodness. Thank you. Thank you so, so much, buddy. I, I sincerely appreciate your time today. And, uh, yeah, it is a great book, and I was complimenting James as soon as I got him on the phone because I know he worked his tail off on this thing, and it shows. I'm going to tell you. Now, James... James, when did you first have the idea to write a book about Ghostbusters in the Ghostbusters franchise? Um,
1: well, I first, like, seriously thought about doing it right after I finished um, This Music, Leaves stains. Uh, I mean, I guess, um, yeah, you know, in 2013. Uh, and I actually, like, for about an hour it looked like it was happening. Um, my publisher was like, yeah, let's do this, it sounds good. <clears throat> but um, it kind of fell through. There was some, there was some. Uh, uh, they were kind of worried about um, competition with uh, another, there was a book that came out uh, like a couple years after that or maybe within a year called um, Ghostbusters, The Ultimate Visual History. and. Um, they saw that that was being published, and they're like, "Well, we don't want to have to compete with them, you know." So let's put a pin in this Ghostbusters thing. And I was like, "Okay," because you know we didn't really know how the visual history book was going to turn out, and it's a fantastic uh, book, like uh, like picture book, coffee table book, you know, with lots of great photography and artwork and and stuff like that. But it doesn't really get into the you know to the whole Ghostbusters franchise, uh, you know, th- story. And it, you know, it was published before they did the 2016 movie, it was published right before Afterlife, so. Um, then after, uh, I was really, you know, for the past couple of years before, uh, I guess, okay, I guess this would go back to like 2017 or 2018, after Brave Punk World, I was working on a book about uh, the Guns N' Roses album, Chinese Democracy, and nobody wanted it. <laughs> it was like, every publisher was like, no, we don't want to do this. So. <laughs> Um, and so then, uh, they, but then they announced that they were going to do Afterlife <clears throat> and, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and so I circled back to the Ghostbusters book with the publisher. I was like, well, you want to do this now? Because the visual history came out, and what I want to do is kind of different from that. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. So, and that's, uh, I guess to answer your question, however many years ago 2013
0: was. Okay, right on. And then when you sat down, basically, and started collecting data, and making phone calls and doing your research about, and you know, putting and putting pen to paper, so to speak, about how long do you think it took you total to write the book?
1: Oh lord! Um, well, I guess it was like, um, I guess from January twenty nineteen until, um, uh, until like, uh, February of this year. Wow. <laughs> Uh, it, took a, it took, yeah, it took quite, you know, but of course, uh, you know, Afterlife uh, was delayed several times, um, and then I, which, which, you know, made, the, I wanted to include Afterlife in the book, you know, Sure. so I, Publisher was very gracious to allow me to wait until, like, you know, Afterlife was released. But there was also delays because of, like, personal things that were going on in my life. And I was like, I just need more time because, you know, I have other stuff going on that I need to take care of. It's taking, taking a little bit of
0: precedence, like family stuff. Um, so, Right on. Now, you did not have the support of a major film studio. Were you able to get into contact with people associated with the Ghostbusters movies? Was it easy to do that or, or was that, was that harder? Well <clears throat> excuse me. Excuse me for that gross
1: sound. Um well what happened was um, you know, I wanted to talk to everybody who was involved, everybody I can, you know, wrangle up. And at first, you know, people were <clears throat> people were sort of like, Well, some people would talk to me, some wouldn't and then they were like, We kinda wanna see what Ivan Reitman's gonna do, you know, if he's gonna talk to you. And um my email to Ivan Reitman kind of got looped into this whole thing with Sony and um, Paul Feig who had directed the reboot. And it was like this big, just this big email chain where everyone was asking me like, well, what's this book gonna be? What's it gonna be like? What do you wanna do? And I explained it all to them like, you know, I really wanna get into everything, like the history of the movies, like get deeper than anyone's gone and the con- like the cultural context and all that. And <clears throat> uh, Sony was, Sony, said, we, you know, we can't you know, they're like, we only want, you know, Ivan Raymond and Dan Aykroyd and all those people are only going to talk to you if you give us, if we buy the book and it becomes an official thing and then we have editorial control and it took me five seconds to be like, no, I don't want to do that <laughs> because, you know, then I feel like it's they're going to take out a, a lot of the interesting stuff probably and it wasn't worth the gamble so then, I mean in a sense it was kind of easier after that once like an official thing it was easier for people to get on board or not get on board you know because before prior to that it was always like "Yeah, people are like on the fence you know I prefer you know a clear clear answer you know and um, <clears throat> the, the frustrating thing was like some people would agree to talk to me after that but then they'd find out that it wasn't like officially sanctioned and they'd be like well I can't talk to you now
0: oh dear which
1: was frustrating
0: but yeah. well, you, still you know? managed but to.
1: but I was surprised like there were you know a lot of them like you know a lot of the below the line people a lot of the special effects people you know to them it's like you know they've worked on so many different things and their are is a lengthy Ghostbusters which is kind of another part of the just like another bump
0: in the road or whatever however you want to look at it so they're a little less precious about it you know and we're willing to open up that's so. great that's great Which which of the four Ghostbusters feature films is your favorite <clears throat>
1: um well i would say probably the original um you know the 1984 original uh it just you know everything <clears throat> everything kind of came together and uh i mean i think i think there's a lot of uh interesting concepts in ghostbusters 2 but it kind of doesn't um you know it doesn't all completely gel uh but yeah i mean the first you know it's hard to <clears throat> it's hard to Yeah, the first one kind of came
0: out of nowhere and took the world by storm. You know, it's tough to replicate that. Do you think, do you think Bill Murray will ever do another Ghostbusters movie?
1: Uh, well, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I would be surprised if he did. I guess, you know, his, you know, he said, like he he did his little cameo in Afterlife because he thought the script was good. Then I also heard he just did it as a favor to Ivan Reitman. I mean, I would, I would, I can't, I'd say it's possible. You know, who, whoever thought that, uh, you know, the police would get back together, you know, staying and, all, and it seemed like that would
0: never happen. Like, you know, people say they're never going to do something, and they end up doing it anyway. <laughs> so. so never say never. Yeah. Pink slime or green slime?
1: <laughs> Pink slime or green slime? Um, uh, I think... Oh, boy. Well, the green slime doesn't have any uh, effect on your mood, so I guess I'll go with the green slime. I don't need anything <laughs> altering
0: my chemistry. Do you think we'll ever see another Ghostbusters movie with the 2016 film's cast? <clears throat>
1: well, I would guess no... But again, you know who you know, You can you can I, you can never really predict these things. I mean, it could happen, you know. I, it could not, you know. I mean, there are a lot of uh, you know that 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 film has a very fervent fan base, and you know, I, I don't know. I to me, I he, I don't know. I would say that I would I would guess probably not. But
0: you know, I'm proven wrong every day about every reality. Again, never say never. Sure. If you were to introduce a brand new... Uh, a young person, say, who's never seen Ghostbusters or the franchise or any of the films or anything, uh, what what would be the best order to watch the Ghostbusters films in, in your opinion, James? Uh,
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess I'd, I'd watch them in the order they came out. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I think that would be... You know, because I, I, you know. You can. You never. I've watched them. You know, with uh, with my kids, and um, you know, you never know how they're going to react. I was surprised that you know, um, you know, my son was like, oh, "I think Afterlife is the best one out of all of these. It like blows all the other ones away." And I was like, "Oh, okay, that's interesting." You know, I mean, I it's you know, you never know how anyone's going to receive anything. So I would say just watch them how they came
0: out. <laughs> Does a script exist for the never made film Ghostbusters Three Hellbent? And have you read it? Uh, yes, and yes. Wow, how did you get a hold of it?
1: Um, there is a, there's a copy. There's like a story treatment, and I think a full copy or a couple of full copies. Um, in with uh, the Tom Davis papers that were donated to the Yale Library, uh, the Rare Manuscript Library. I think that's where it was. Um it was definitely it was definitely in like there were several Ghostbusters related scripts in the Tom Davis papers and I think that was at Yale and um, it was uh, um, it was kind of tricky you know with um, COVID and everything fortunately there were a lot a lot of libraries that put everything online and did like you know expanded things digitally so you know people could you know enjoy the services from the comfort of their home but you know sometimes these special collections they'd be a little
0: like a little like no, you still got to come in for that. But as the pandemic wore on and on, they were like, eventually, I'm like, all right, if you pay a nominal fee, we'll send this to you. <laughs> so, and you're able to get a hold of it that way. Yeah. What did you think of the script?
1: I didn't think it was good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like it's it's an interesting idea, but I don't. There wasn't a lot of like. I think you know this was remarked upon by a couple different people. Uh, it's there's not a lot of funny stuff in it and um you know it definitely needed I kind of needed this needed another go around I would say um but <clears throat> and, but of course you know you read it's really hard to to divorce yourself from like you know if you read the script to a movie you've already seen that you, you know that
0: you think is good I don't know I think that's all you know but just because the script is bad doesn't mean the movie would have been bad you know what I mean sure sure if, if you could pick four actors living today to play ghostbusters in a brand new ghostbusters film yeah who would you pick to star and who is your dream director for this fictional project oh okay um immediately
1: off the bat first choice is pam grier um then i would say uh charlene yi and then i would say um who, boy, oh boy, um, am uh, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here, um, oh, oh, uh, Avery Brooks, and, also, Lily Tomlin, Why and, not? I think, the dream, the director, the person who should direct that, um, uh, it's a tough one, I'm really blanking, I'm trying to, be genuine and not say something funny. Um, ooh, <laughs> um. I don't
0: know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think with, I think any director working with that cast could be shit. Yeah, I think I think Charlene Yi is a is a great pick. I I, I didn't even consider it her myself, but uh, I could totally see that. <laughs> She's a uh, outstanding. Ye- in your book, uh, Convenient Parallel Dimension, How Ghostbusters Slimed Us Forever, there are some truly jaw-dropping uh, stories about Ray Parker Jr., the man who composed <laughs> the iconic <laughs> yeah, theme song yeah. for the first Ghostbusters film. That might have been one of my favorite parts. I mean, I love music, so obviously I was interested in everything about this, but the Ray Parker Jr. stories were just incredible. If, if you can have... Yeah, yeah, they're all pretty wild. They are wild, right? If, 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 and I don't want to spoil anything for folks who haven't read it, but you, l- trust me, it's uh, you're gonna get you're gonna get us some surprises. <laughs> if,
1: if, yeah, yeah, it's funny because you know he's um, you know a lot of a lot of people in the Ghostbusters fandom are like, "Oh, you know Ray Parker's such a great guy, you know he's such a down to earth dude," <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I, I believe that he is, but I mean, he's also been involved in some really uh, really crazy stuff. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Like, you know, if you hear him, I don't know, I don't think I included too much about this in the book, but, you know, he got hired without an audition, he got hired to be in Stevie Wonder's band when he was 18, and then he, uh, like, he, they, I guess they played maybe, like, one date on the tour, maybe one or two dates, and Ray Parker Jr. decided he didn't like it, so he just left and didn't tell anybody, <laughs> like, you ghosted Stevie Wonder
0: when you were 18? Holy moly. Wow. That's some, that's some guts to walk out on that. Or a huge ego, perhaps. Yeah. If If you could have one band or artist compose and perform a new theme song today for, for your dream Ghostbusters film, who would you choose? Oh, oh, oh. That's a good question.
1: Um, shoot. Um, I don't know. I guess... Um, uh, well... You know, Steve Grimmett from Grim Reaper just passed away, unfortunately. He was the first name that popped in my head. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, that's, that's. these are some challenging questions, my friend. I guess, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I wanna say, I'm trying, again, like I'm trying to think of people who aren't dead or who, like, is not making this like a throwaway
0: answer. I don't know, I have to pass on this, Andy. <laughs> we, like you know, we were like, talking like about... We were talking about KISS briefly <laughs> before we started recording. Could you imagine KISS recording a Ghostbusters theme song? At this point in time, um, God, that would
1: be so awful. I would need to hear it. Um, like, unless... Unless they could, like, um, convince... Like, if they said, like, we're okay, for real this time... Peter, Chris, and Ace Greeley are actually playing on this track, you know, <laughs> or this is the final Kiss reunion and we're doing a Ghostbusters song, and then, I don't know, maybe if something good might happen, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's my understanding that they just kind of like, that there was a lot of session work on those on those reunion albums they did with a- Ace and Peter. I don't know how much they even played on them. <laughs> and of course, you know, they're like 50-year-old guys trying to write like,
0: <laughs> like 70s rock songs. <laughs> Did you did you hear Sharpling the other the other week say uh, he he said Gene Simmons plays the bass like he's wearing boxing gloves. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's fair <laughs> I love that. James, my cousin Jonathan is a huge, huge Ghostbusters fan, and when he found out I was going to be speaking with you today, he had some questions that he wanted me to ask. So these final four questions are from my cousin Jonathan. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay, here we go. Question number one. When they did the preview screenings before the finished cut of the first Ghostbusters film, did any of the comment cards that came back from the test audience affect the final cut?
1: Um, not, not to my knowledge. Like, um, I interviewed, uh, one of the editors, Sal Salada, who was at that screening, and I think, like, the general, um, feeling about the screening, it was like, they knew that the movie wasn't done, they were just testing the comedy, and like, but people still got invested in, in the effects that weren't there, and I don't think, like, you know, I don't, I don't remember any stories about the common card, I think there were more stories about the common cards on Ghostbusters 2 affecting, like, what they were gonna do, or like, playing more of a role, although, on Ghostbusters 2, it was right,
0: Ivan Ryman's decision to, to, to re-edit stuff not you know it wasn't like anything mandated by the studio so okay i get the second question is is in relation to the comments cards also and i suppose yeah. if you can if you have any recollections uh and you feel free to talk about any comments cards that you might recollect he wanted to know my cousin this again this is my cousin jonathan do you remember any of the criticisms and or suggestions from the comment cards and he said for the first film but it could be either uh, and if so, which ones stick out in your mind, and which ones did you find the most funny? Did your cousin fill out a comic card? Is he oh, to be like... <laughs> uh, yeah, John uh, that was very That's clever. a great I question. It's it's entirely possible. <laughs> <laughs> He's a um, huge fan.
1: <laughs> honestly, I didn't look... I didn't retain too much from the like, comic cards. And, uh, there wasn't that much that uh, I found from that stuff. Like, there were materials from the previous screening but i didn't i didn't like i don't know i just didn't feel like I had going into too much detail about it you know or like there wasn't anything that was too
0: that like, really jumped out at me you know sure um, we'll we'll have to, we'll move on from the comment we'll move on from the comment cards question. <laughs> okay all right here's another one from cousin john If Eddie Murphy had had an interest in a role for the first film, other than for the part that he was offered, do you think that the casting directors at that time would have hired him? Uh, Like what? Like if he wanted to play? uh, Yeah, what if he looked at the Bankman character and said, you know, this character has many more lines and I think I'd be much more, well, much more better suited to this. Do you think they would have acquiesced it or was it too early in his career for that?
1: Oh, I don't think it was too early. I mean, I think Eddie Murphy exploded when he was on Saturday Night Live, and everybody wanted him and everything, and I think they would have been glad to have him in any capacity. You know, they almost put him in Star
0: Trek IV. Yeah, that was in the book, too. That was pretty shocking. And he's a huge Star Trek fan. It made me remember, and I don't know if you'd mention this in the book, but in the movie Boomerang, there's a scene where he's in bed with, um, I forget who the love interest was, forgive me, married to Mike Tyson at one time, Uh, Robin Robin Givens, thank you, Robin Givens, and he talks about Star Trek and how important it is, and he talks about Mr. Spock and uh, William Shatner, do you remember that scene in Boomerang? Yeah, of course. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) alright, pardon me. (laughs) So you knew he had like a, I remember (laughs) Boomerang. So you knew he, my point is, you knew he had a fascination with Star Trek.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, but going back to your question, like, yeah, I think, or
0: rather, cousin Jonathan's question. Cousin yeah, John. I mean,
1: yeah. Every, and people want Eddie Murphy in everything. Like, if you go back and read, like, the the trades from that time, or any magazines, or any newspapers, it's just like
0: everyone's like, oh, we we we're gonna get Eddie Murphy for this. He's like our top pick, you know. Yeah, it's a shame he doesn't. Uh... Yeah. Okay, but it's a shame he didn't make it into, into any of the Ghostbusters films, or at least not yet. I would never say never, as we as has been the uh, the this uh, the ongoing saying for this uh, for this interview. What which, which uh, this is a final question for my cousin here, uh, James. Which title do you think would have worked the best if the creators had been unable to use Ghostbusters as the official title? And maybe this this one might need a little explanation for the for the listening audience because. There was a problem trying to get the name Ghostbusters initially, correct?
1: Well, I don't know if it was a problem as so much they just decided to call it Ghostbusters without clearing it legally because that name belonged to Filmation uh, Studios because they had produced uh, a TV show, a live-action children's TV show called Ghostbusters in the 70s with uh, Larry Storch and um, uh, the name of the other actor is, uh, is Escaping Me Force Tucker. And they were just like, well, we're going to do a thing called... And the name Ghostbusters had been used before that. But Filmation owned it at the time, and they just decided, well, we're going to do it. And then uh, <laughs> Filmation's attorney was, like, walking through New York City in 1983, and he came across this film shoot. Like, oh, it's uh, Ghostbusters? Wait a minute, what's going on? Uh, <clears throat> so then Filmation's like, well, you know, you can't use it. We're not going to necessarily let you use the title Ghostbusters. So they were like, well... When we can you alternate with Ghost Smashers or Ghost Stoppers or Ghost Blasters <laughs> um, and you know it's, it's, I don't know I mean I guess
0: if I had to pick one of those uh, the question is which
1: alternate title would have worked
0: better? Yes which, which one do you think would have worked the best uh, had they not been able to use Ghostbusters? I mean Ghost Smashers is really cool Ghost I mean, Smashers is kind of it's kind of badass right? Yeah it's smashing them <laughs> yeah James, this has been so much fun. Folks, the book is called A Convenient Parallel Dimension, How Ghostbusters Slimed Us Forever. The author is James Green Jr. Look, it's if you like what we're talking about here, if you're at all into, again, the Ghostbusters franchise, obviously, chiefly. And, you know, if you love SNL, holy moly. I mean, you, you gotta read this book. And again, if you love the dirt, you love stories about Hollywood egos, um, just, you know, I guess, you know, what is that what is there's such I was trying to think of this this term today James maybe you can help me but it's like development hell is that what they call it when like a, a project yeah. yeah yeah just development hell when <laughs> a project is not you know just not able to get up off the ground uh fascinating book James green jr did an, an amazing job and uh, if you love any of the stuff that we're talking about today you are going to love this book track it down pick it up you can find it everywhere. Uh I highly recommend it. James, this has been so much fun. Thank you so so much for talking with me. Oh, thank you, Andy. I really enjoyed it. I really appreciate it. And all the kind words you said about the book. Thank oh, you. all true. All true, buddy. I'm gonna hand things over right now to our friend Rachel from Des Moines with the chart chat. Take it away,
2: Rachel. Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. Thanks to everyone who listened last week. I was glad to hear from Zap fan Tony. And I don't know if Pat Walsh listens to People Are the Enemy, but he mentioned the movie My Own Private Idaho on Twitter, so we'll count it. For the 70s chart this week, we're on October 30th of 1976, and I feel like 1976 charts are a great starting point for anyone who wants to get into 70s music because there's always a great variety in the tunes and it is very solid, very listenable, especially the AT40 shows. And yes, I can say this about this 1976 chart with a top 10 containing infamous 70s tunes like Muskrat Love, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, and, on its way to number one, Disco Duck, 1976, A Land of Contrasts. Starting off for the picks this week at number 100 is a funk group, Sun, with their song Wanna Make Love, in parentheses, Come Flick My Bick. And Sun, were from Dayton, Ohio, like many other great uh, funk acts. And uh, on this first album, their band was assisted by Roger and Lester Troutman on this track and others on the album, and Roger, of course, on his distinctive talk box. And I read that uh, Bic lighters were invented in 73, or that, you know, they hit the market in 73, and they were using the Flick My Bic slogan in 75, so this is very timely. I actually found a really great article on the funk scene in Dayton, and uh, I'll try to add that as a link on my Twitter at uh, number 88 is the song Baby Boy and it's credited to Mary Kay Place as Loretta Hagers and so that was a character that Mary Kay played on the show Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman I read that she won an Emmy Award for this, uh, supporting actress in a comedy and the lyrics of the song pertain to the point of view of her character Loretta, um, it's about a young woman that marries a much older man and she's in love with him but she still calls him my baby boy even though he's this older guy And I read that Mary Kay co-wrote the song, and there's actually a whole album as this character, and it was nominated, the album, for Grammy Award for Female Country Vocal. And she has two other albums, I believe, credited as herself. And so Mary Kay Place is mostly known as an actress, but she was also a writer. She wrote episodes of shows like M.A.S.H., Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman itself, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, or Phyllis. Uh, she's just a really fascinating person, I've been a fan of her since, um, I guess technically since the movie Captain Ron, but I also really liked her on Big Love. She's just always great whenever she pops up. At the number 77 is Cowboy Song by Thin Lizzy, and 77 was as high as this one would get. I just included this so you could know a third Thin Lizzy song after uh, The Boys Are Back in Town and Jailbreak, and all three of these are actually on the Jailbreak album, and I'm actually going to listen to I rec- uh, the uh, 108.9 The Hawk has their Rock Talk episodes which are out of character and they're done sincerely as opposed to the regular show which is uh, you know Jason Gore's takeoff on classic rock radio. They had one about Genesis that was great and I'm looking forward to listening to this one about Thin Lizzy so I can learn more about the group. At number 69 is Breezin' by George Benson. This will make it to number 63. And this is from the album of the same name. The song was composed by Bobby Womack, and uh, it's an instrumental, although I did read that Womack had written lyrics, but they're not any type of official release. Just a great smooth jazz type of song you put on, just puts you in a good mood, helps you be relaxed. At number 45 is the Brothers Johnson with their song, Get the Funk Out My Face, and that would make it to number 30. And you can even see, uh, if you go visit the Wikipedia page for the Brothers Johnson, George's picture is kind of a homebrew t-shirt paying tribute to this song i read that it was co-written with quincy jones and it's the second single off of their first album and i first came to know about this one from the movie semi-pro known as that dirty basketball movie a lot of great 70s tunes in that one and i have a crackpot theory that in the yes shows one of yes's live albums john anderson is doing some stage patter and he says Don't Put That Funk In My Face, and the track, that live recording was from August 17th of 76, so if he was really hip to the Brothers Johnson, you know, the album had been out for a while when the single came out, so maybe that was his rendition, or it could just totally be a coincidence and people were just constantly putting funk in other people's faces in 76 and both artists had to make a stand about it. At number 37 is Nights Are Forever Without You by England Dan and John Ford Coley. They're both, those are both from Texas. This song will make it to number 10. And it was the follow-up to their single I'd Really Love to See You Tonight. Uh, That one made it to number 2. This one is lesser known for sure, but also worth listening to. And dare I say, it has a little edge compared to their earlier hit. They're kind of rocking out on the acoustic guitars there. And finally, from the 70s this week, at number 24 is Do You Feel Like We Do by Peter Frampton. This would also make it up to number 10. And this is, of course, off of uh, Frampton Comes Alive. They got a single edit right around seven minutes. The full album version was over 14 minutes long. So it's kind of one of those cliched long songs that DJs have put on to you know, go to the restroom or what have you. But I think it really is worth listening to. Or if you've heard about it or you've heard his, you know, we're bookending our 70s chart with talk box songs. I have a good memory of this one coming on one time when I was in the truck with my dad and brother, and he told us to, you know, be quiet and listen to this one and enjoy it. We listened to that all the rest of the way home. Turning to the 80s, we are in November 1st of 1986. Starting off at number 94 is the Miami Sound Machine with their song Fallen in Love, Uh-Oh. This would make it to number 25. For me, I really greatly prefer the up-tempo Miami Sound Machine, Gloria Estefan songs to their ballads. I feel like this one kind of splits the difference. I really like the composition of it. It's just got a really sweet sound. This is from their ninth album, and it was their second English language release. And it was the fourth single off of uh, Primitive Love, with a great photo of Gloria on the cover. At number 89 is Who Says by the group Device. So make it to number 79. And uh, Device were a pop rock trio. They had one album. Uh, they had one other single off of that called Hanging on a Heart Attack that made it to number 37. And uh, Holly Knight was a member of the group. She was previously in a band called Spider. And we had had one of their songs on the chart chat. Holly Knight is an extremely prolific songwriter. And she, she wrote or co-wrote all the songs on this Device album. But has written many songs for many other artists. And I feel like she should be easily as well-known as Diane Warren, as far as, you know, to be the successful female songwriters. At number 82 is Someday by the group Glass Tiger. Let's make it all the way to number seven. And this was the third single off of their debut album, The Thin Red Line. And that went four times platinum in Canada, and it went gold here in the U.S. And Someday earned them a Juno for single of the year really like this one. I uh, just feel like a lot of emotion in the song. I feel like I can remember this one from when it came out. At number 63 is Nail It to the Wall by Stacy Ladisaw. This would get to number 48. And Stacy is an R&B singer from Washington, D.C. And she started in the music biz as a teenager. And so by the time this one came out, based on whenever the release date versus her birthday, it was her eighth album and she was only 19 or 20 years old. So very impressive. Uh, Stacey is mostly known for ballads and particularly had success with duets with Johnny Gill. Uh, so this is a little bit of a departure for her, I would say. Uh, the video is amazing. It's this like sexy construction construction site scene, and she, Stacey plays the uh, wife of a construction worker that wants to visit him on the on the site. On the pop charts, Stacey Lasott had two of her songs uh, hit the top forty: "Let Me Be Your Angel" and "Love on a Two Way Street." And she had many singles that charted on the R&B side of things. At number 55 is "Is This Love" by Survivor. This is not to be confused with the White Snake "Is This Love." This would make it to number nine, and it's the first single off of their sixth album, "When Seconds Count," which was the follow-up to their smash album, "Vital Signs." And what's something I really like about Survivor songs is I think they have interesting composition. They have different sections, so um, kind of just keeps you ent- keeps you engaged. And finally, from the 80s, at number 47, we have the song Shake You Down by Gregory Abbott. And it's on its way to number one. It would hit number one on January 17th of 87. And uh, Gregory Abbott is a songwriter and producer, in addition to being a singer. He was from Harlem, New York, and his dad was from Venezuela. And his mother was from Antigua, and his mom taught him piano and encouraged him in music. He's a really interesting guy. I read up on him in uh, a book I have on number one singles. He had been an educator and a PhD student in California. He worked on Wall Street in New York City, and then he got really into producing, and that led him to becoming, you know, putting out releases of his own. And one thing that this song is memorable for is it incorporates some childhood rhymes into the lyrics. And I want to dedicate this one to my late friend Chauncey Johnson. We, We bonded over this song, thinking it's a little silly, but also liking it for real. So I really miss him. Well, that's all for me this week. Thanks so much for listening. Back to you, Andy.
0: Thank you, Rachel. Awesome stuff. You know, before this chart chat, I think the only time I had ever heard the name Stacy Lattisaw was in a Tracy Morgan joke in which he talked about being in love with a young woman <laughs> as a younger man uh, who looked like Tracy Lattisaw. So I had to go and look her up. She's very cute. <laughs> awesome. Awesome stuff, Rachel. Thank you so much. This has been episode 253 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, James Green Jr. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. If you are an American, please, please, please vote. We love you. Peace.